All right. Good morning, everyone. Let's start off with a word of prayer before we get into the message. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your incredible uh, gift to us, Lord, of your of your very self that we just celebrated yesterday, but that we celebrate every day. Lord, thank you for this message. Lord, I pray that you speak it, that you speak words through me, Lord, that have impact that I may not that I may never know. Uh, but Lord, that you minister today in Jesus' name, Amen. All right. Well, we've got some we've got powerpoints up on the screen, but if you do want to follow along, mostly going to be in John seventeen. But yeah, let me go ahead and start off with this key verse, at least to get us started. John seventeen twenty three. I'll give you a second if you do want to follow along. This is in the middle of a prayer. So in John 17, Jesus is praying, and he starts off, he's praying about his disciples who are right there with him, and then he starts praying about everybody who's going to believe the, the good news afterwards, everybody who's going to believe their message. And it's, he's talking about all believers, and he's talking about how he wants all of us to be one in him. And he says in John seventeen twenty three. He's speaking to the Father. So he's praying to the Father. So this is a conversation with the Father about all of us, all the believers. I in them, in you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. There's a lot just in that verse. Jesus' desire that we all be in unity in him, he's saying, hey, the Father, I'm in, I'm in them and you're in me, therefore they should all be one in unity with us. And I want to tell you today, I want to share a story with you, and you may think at first, okay, how does this go together? But the title of my message is Handle with Care. And you may have just, we just had a lot of Christmas gifts, a lot of packages, a lot of, you know, in a box in shipping, receiving, when it's stamped, handle with care, what do you do? Yeah, you'd be careful with it. Be careful, yeah, handle it, care. So I used to work in shipping, receiving. I, used to, I worked at a Bible college, but it was a correspondence Bible college, and I was the shipping manager. So I did shipping and receiving all the time. And I went to the post office every day, a couple times a day. So one day I'm in there, and I know the people in the post office. When you, when you do, when you frequent a place that often, and you even, some, even sometimes go and pick up things from the back doors and the things that they had a very close relationship with us. We were one of their biggest customers in the, in, in, uh, in the area. You get to know people. Well, I'm standing in line one day, and I know the guy behind the counter, and, he's, and there's one lady in front of me, and she has this very fancy uh, glass, shot glass that she wants to send to a relative. And it, it looked like it might have been etched with something. It looked, it looked important. It looked like something you'd want to take care of. And she's insisting on just putting it in this paper envelope and sending it through the post office. And the guy behind the counter is adamant that you at least need a bubble wrapper and really should be packaged. And he's explaining what you should do. And I uh, know she's, oh, it'll be fine. She's adamant. And, uh, so he goes, okay, you know. So he puts it in the uh, paper envelope, and she walks away, and he puts it in the slot. Well, there's big steel containers that move around, and it had just been emptied, so there's a brand-new steel container. So it takes a nice six-foot fall onto solid steel, and 
we audibly hear the unmistakable, distinct sound of cracking glass, especially thick glass that cracks. It's a very sharp sound. Yeah, you hear that. He he looks at me. He's making a face, and I'm kind of making a face. He's like, I tried to tell her. I'm like, I know you did. I heard you. You know, you tried. That's an item that needed to be handled with care. It didn't even last 10 seconds <laughs> between when she gave it to him and walked away. It wasn't that it got destroyed, you know, in transit. It didn't even make it to the back room. It was an item that needed to handle with care. So what does that mean for us? Obviously, I'm going somewhere with this illustration, not a lecture on proper post office procedure where it's a, it's a message on how we, how we should treat people. So I want to start with recognizing and trying to say, okay, okay, Lord, what does handle with care mean? And I could easily just kind of put together a message that says, be nice to each other. And, and that would probably be a nice message. But as this message started unfolding, and as a lot of you probably know what I mean, when you're, when you're praying about a message and you're seeking the Lord for it, you don't necessarily write the message. The message kind of unfolds to you. Like the Holy Spirit's kind of telling is kind of, you, you, you have to look at the verses and do some, do some work, but the Holy Spirit starts unfolding it, and it's not you making it, it's, it's being revealed to you. So how this message comes forward, it's like, okay, Lord, what, what handle with care? You know, I could throw some verses about being nice to each other and make a nice little message, but what do you, what do you want? The Lord started dealing with, this means different things based on two groups of people, the believers and the unbelievers. And there's a difference in how we interact with one another versus how we interact with the world. And this began unfolding. I was not planning to use Jesus' prayer in John 17. What I was started to look for was uh, verses about being in the world but not of the world. And what I, as I dig, dug into that, so I'm like, okay, well, where, where's the ver- what's the verse in the Bible that says exactly that phrase, be in the world and not of the world? And I couldn't find it. <laughs> and I looked it up, and I'm looking at it, and I'm going, it's like, I've heard this my whole life. So I start digging into it, and, uh, and I did not look at every possible translation. So there may be a translation that does say that, but that's really more of a concept than an exact verse I can point to. And the research I kept doing into that kept coming back to John 17. And as this, again, started opening up, I think this is, this is, I always took this as a prayer for believers, but Jesus is talking, he's talking to the Father, he's talking about us, and he's also talking about how we interact with the world. So in John 17, I'm going to go back a little bit. We're going, going to, I started off with, Verse 23, and now we're going to work our way to verse 23. We're going to go to uh, two earlier verses and work our way back there. John seventeen fourteen. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. That's huge right there. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. 
your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Now we look at this verse and right away, there are two groups of people that we're dealing with here. There are those that are not of the world, that belong to Christ, and and there's the world. That is the ultimate, that is how when God looks at human race that's the that's the distinctions that god makes we have our various other distinctions but the the most important distinction god ever makes is between those that are that know him and those that are in the world and he sends those who know him to minister to the world so that more people will know him his prayer is He's praying to God. He prays, don't take them out of the world, but protect them from the evil one. And I def- and as I'm building towards you know, what, what's it going to look like if we care for one another, I do want to point out, it's very easy in church culture to take yourself out of the world, to retreat into the church. We use the phrase sometimes the country club of church. Where church becomes the, all my friends are at church, my family goes to church. I had a point in my life where I was going to a Christian school, I was working at a Christian Bible college, and I, all my friends were church friends. And you can isolate yourself. If you're not careful, you can, you know, kind of like my entire world is, is Christians. I'm, I've kind of isolated myself from the world. Then I started going to USI, and you can just you can just imagine the culture shock that that ensued. But uh, that it so, and that can happen to any of us. We can become we can become those people that say, "I don't want the world's cooties on me. I'm trying to trying to keep myself clean, like the Pharisees did. I'm trying to keep myself clean and pure." Just world, stay away from me. You're you're dirty. You're messy. You 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 stay out there, and I have my my universe, my world where I I get to be Christian and surra- only surround myself with Christians and only do Christian things. And we can become where the where yeah okay you're you're being careful, but what are you doing to impact the world around you? How is anybody else going to hear from you? Anybody else going to come to know the Lord through you, or are you just like like the Pharisees or like the servant that buries his one talent? Are you just preserving yourself, or are you secure in the Lord, and now you're trying to help others? But, uh, so, I got a little hug of myself here, but that's okay. In this process of wanting to get, because that is the desire, is to get to that point where we are secure in the Lord and we're ministering to others. Well, others means two groups. There's the other believers around us, and then there's the world. And if I'm handling with care, if I'm being careful, recognizing that people are fragile, is that, is that fair to say? All of us, even our, all of us, are fragile. We can be hurt. Our feelings can be hurt. We are, we're prone to fear, prone to insecurity. We're all we're all fragile. We all need, uh, in the grand scheme of things, we all need one of those stampers that say "fragile, handle with care." All of us, all of us, really, in some way or another, are vulnerable and, and should have that mark on us. 
But as I'm interacting, so if I am striving to be careful and handle with care, I'm interacting with my fellow believers, does that mean that I just be the, the nice church person with the, you know, the fake smile and just the, I'll just be nice and Something I heard a minister say this years ago, and at first it took, it took me a while to, to accept it. But he made the point, and you know, nice is not one of the fruits of the Spirit. And I thought, well, that seems kind of, at first I was just kind of like, what does he mean by that? What, what? And he's right. Yes, there's kindness. Yes, there's gentleness. But nice is this funny term that we've come up with. And what it means is, I don't want people to think that I'm a mean person. N- nice doesn't have much to do with loving other people. It's more what other people think of you than it is about, about loving other people. The way we've come to use it. Nice is, oh, I don't want to make any waves. Or I don't want to offend anybody. I just want everybody to like me. And, and you go through Scripture and you look, and I know... Uh, I think Eddie touched on this even last week. If you looked at the people in the Bible and how they ministered, a lot of times we wouldn't let them minister in our churches because, they're too, because they'd be too offensive. And Jesus loved people perfectly. And he offended everybody except the 12. Everybody left him. Even people who he had sent out in power and who had cast out demons. And he had 72 people at one point, he had anointed, and then he ends up with 12 left. Even those who had close to him and had experienced his power, he was so offensive, people left him. And you think, how can, that, how can I reconcile that perfect love with he really wasn't all that nice by our standards? If we're loving each other, yes, we're, yes we need patience and to be kind and gentle, but at times, we also push each other to grow and, to grow and to to grow in the Lord, to do things, to do to grow, to minister more. Proverbs twenty seven seventeen. We love in in the Christian culture to quote this verse, but it's actually a very harsh verse. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Yeah, we you see T-shirts with that. You see, we love that in Christian merchandising and everything. You know, iron sharpens iron. Yeah, some translations say one friend sharpens another. This is the same Proverbs chapter where it talks about wounds from a friend can be trusted. This is, this, this chap this proverb. There's several references to a friend wounding another friend in a good way. And you're like, wait, wait a minute. And it's talking about correction. It's talking about when you tell somebody, no, no you're, you're doing this wrong. Or no, you need to be doing this instead. No, you need to grow. No, you need to do, you need to improve. You need to, you need to get past this thing that's a hang-up for you. Ironing, sharpening iron? Sounds like a cool thing. You see a lot of men's groups love this. You know, a picture of a sword, you're sharpening a sword or something like that. You know, it sounds really manly. And you get into what it actually means and it's you're cutting burrs off of that iron you're digging into that iron iron and forming a blade but the process of that you're if you didn't know better you think you were destroying that iron you're cutting into it you're taking off these burrs you're like what are you doing to this poor to this poor knife you're tearing it up and then what you're actually doing is sharpening it making it useful for what it's supposed to be 
this is, and this is what Scripture is saying that a friend does for a friend. A friend, a true friend, will help their friend, and at times that means kind of digging into some stuff. It might hurt. Might say, "Well, what are you doing to me? Are you trying to hurt me?" And no, I'm trying to trying to actually trying to help you, trying to sharpen you, so you'll be so you'll be useful for what you're called to be used for. And a dull knife. Is there anything you can do with a dull knife? You you'll, you try to cut something with you'll destroy whatever you're cutting. You're likely to to slip and cut yourself. I mean, there's just nothing you can really do with a dull knife. It's not able to fulfill its purpose until you sharpen it. But that sharpening in some way causes damage in the short term. But in the long term, it's producing something useful. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. So we're in Hebrews, and he's going to kind of give us there's a few verses here we love to quote. One of my favorite things is to look at the popular verses and then look what the context is around it. I love that. So Hebrews 10:23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And growing up in charismatic Pentecostal circles, love that. That verse is everywhere. He who promised is faithful and in People kind of throw that throw that around for everything. He who's promised is faithful. I'm like, well, that is a great verse. And if I skip over twenty four and I go to verse twenty five, it says, "Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing." Well, that was last year's theme <laughs> theme verse for <laughs> in a lot of circles. Like, hey, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Great verse. We love that verse. But there's a verse in between those two. Let me read it all together. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And that verse 24, consider how we may spur one another towards love and good deeds. Oh, that must mean politely encourage, uh, you know, sweetly say you should be loving good deeds. Why does he use the word spur? Yeah, right, riding a horse, you have spurs on your boots. That's, that's not exactly polite. It's, they're kind of they're rough. It's kind of a rough thing to do. Spur one another onto, wait, we're supposed to, Supposed to kind of jab and encourage one another like that? Encourage one another towards love and good deeds. Spur one another. Encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. What does that mean to spur one another towards good deeds? Let me try, let me try to give a couple examples. Let's say, and I, I am excited about some of the opportunities that we have unfolding where we may be able to do some to partner with some other ministries and do some outreach, and some uh, currently in Evansville and then and then later here as well. There are there are things coming around where we have opportunity to reach out, do some outreach, do some partner with some groups, and 
that's kind of not really normal church stuff. That's different than just sitting in the, in the chair every Sunday and hearing a message. And for some people, that might be a little hard to transition from, I'm, I, I come on Sunday and I hear a message and I sing some songs to going and doing outreach and, and reaching people, partnering with ministries. We might have to spur one another on a little bit to say, hey, Guys, we, we, we really do need to do this. And it might be uncomfortable. And can I be honest? The experience, and I am no expert at this. I am not at all an expert in outreach ministry whatsoever. The times I've tried to do some street witnessing or try to do some things, I have one or two really cool testimonies and a list of bad experiences. <laughs> and I have to get past that list of bad experiences to to try this again. So... Hey, if you're thinking, Jason, I, I don't know, whether you're sitting here today hearing the recording of this, whatever, you're thinking, oh, I don't know about this outreach or partnering with ministries. I've been hurt by that before. I'm sympathetic, but we need to. We need to outreach. People won't. There are people out there that won't walk into our church, but will still respond to the gospel if they hear it. And we've got to bridge that gap. We've got we to do that. Yes, they'll respond if they hear it, but they aren't just going to walk into the church building necessarily. Perhaps they, and, and there is that group that will, if we invite them, that will come into the church building and 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 hear the good news. But we've got to we got to be able to bridge that gap, even though quite a few of us probably have that story of, wow, that, I tried and that didn't go well. <laughs> like I, like I tried. Couple quick stories. I've tried to do some street ministry with another church I was at. We went out, and I think some of it was the style of the people that I was with, and just some of it was just good learning experience. But I think we got in more debates than I've ever gotten in my life. I don't know that we ever really ministered to anybody. The pushback of just kind of going and talking, speaking nicely to people, and then somebody just walk up and just say, You can't be walking around saying these things. You don't know, the, the, like, like God is unknowable, truth is unknowable, just, just infuriated that you're claiming to try to share truth with them. Which is interesting, if truth is unknowable, why were they upset that somebody is talking? Like they, they should just shrug it off. But it really, you will get, when he says, I've given them your word and the world's going to hate them, we're going to get some negative feedback at some point from trying to reach out and minister. And that that becomes the question, are we going to get offended and give up? Because that sure is tempting. <laughs> it's tempting to, it's tempting, you get to have a bad experience with outreach, it's tempting to say, yep, that we tried that, let's do something else. And honestly, a lot of the church and just hear me out on this, but a lot of the church, a lot of us, it doesn't take a whole lot to offend us or, or wound us. It, we are fragile, handle with care. But a lot of the church, you can offend somebody. Well, so I was offended by this person said this or this person said that, and you're and like, okay, I'm offended, and now and then it's like, okay, if you go out, you go out and start reaching out to the world, they're gonna they're gonna say worse things than that to you. <laughs> like, like just. Let's let's brace for impact here. Let's. It, this is. Uh, yeah, it's one thing to have uh, people in the body hurt each other. It's another thing 
you you read you read the New Testament and they're taking whippings and they're getting hit with stones and they're getting like oh my goodness you know we can we withstand words and they're getting hit with you know the phrase sticks and stones will break your bone can break your bones but words words will never hurt you the early church had all of that they were like all of the above sticks stones words everything and hey will we live in a civilized society that won't happen you might be surprised i our society is getting more and more comfortable with hating the truth Getting, feeling more and more justified with lashing out at people who, who speak the truth, who speak the word of God. We're, we're to a point where there are state governments that are putting together lists of hate literature, and some of them are including the Bible on it, or things that the Bible says on it, and possibly banning that, forbidding that. There are groups that get very comfortable, and I'm talking about even in college 15, 20 years ago, that's a fun thought to think, but the how some of my classmates they they might see you know a group of people oh, they they say that homosexuality is wrong they they would get excited about how can i how can I insult them and criticize them how can i as soon as you get labeled as as hateful the term when the world is able to label you something that makes them feel comfortable in attacking you and they're eager to probably going to run into that at some point if we're doing outreach and as we're trying as we're trying to reach the communities around us evansville and henderson we're going to encounter pushback that a lot of churches don't accept a lot of believers will say no i'm out i'll just stay in my church keep those cooties away from me and i'm i'm good and we're going to have to choose if we're willing to do that well how if we try to stand on our own and do that we won't be able to and yes, we can say, yes, I'm trusting the Lord, but the best way for the Lord to help build us up to be able to do that is through our church family. It's through unity, through us sharpening each other. I can take some of the heat from the world because I've already taken some heat from my fellow believers who loved me enough to tell me, hey, you need to grow up, you need to get past these things, you need to toughen up, you need to... Like, okay, didn't always enjoy hearing that, but I've had... I've had people speak those things in love into my life that has very positively affected me in the long term, though it may have offended me in the short term. (laughs) But it helped build me in the long term. That is that sharpening. That is that spurring onto good works and love. Another example that might fit that verse, verse 24 in Hebrews 10, what is that spurring one another? towards love and good deeds. So, you know, good de- I can encourage people to do good deeds. What does it look like to encourage people to love? This can, ha- this can happen anywhere in- among believers. So no- nobody think I'm picking on any kind of thing, but th- hey, this happens common- commonly. Somebody comes up to you and wants to talk about somebody else. You know what they did wrong, this, this, this. Now, how do we approach that? Because a lot of the church, as soon as somebody says, hey, I want to tell you what somebody else did, it's do I, join in, do I join in and take on that person's negative feelings, or how do I handle that? This, ha- this has happened every church I've ever been in, some, some commonly, actually. Christian school, some, working at a uh, Bible college, 
constantly have had believers come up and say something else about another believer. How do you respond? The best thing I can do for that person is to encourage them to love that other person that they're talking about. It may be. Now, here's, here's how that may look like. Sometimes that is, look, this is gossip or this is slander and we need to shut it down. And I know some, some people do approach that immediately if you, try, you talk to them and they're like, no, I, I, I'm going to shut down that gossip, that slander right away, which is very good. I agree in principle. I would say also keep in mind sometimes another believer comes to you and it's a, really a cry for help. It is, I'm hurt and I don't know how to process this. So I, I try not, I'm not necessarily the guy shut it down right away because sometimes that's a cry for help or, or an opportunity to minister and try to help treat some of the, the wounds and try to help uh, encourage that person to love. Get them to the point they can. But in principle, we do need to be people that stop gossip and slander. And, and we can say, yes, I'm going to stop it, but one of the most effective ways to stop it, you can shut that person down, they may just get mad at you, but to say, to start asking them, have you gone to the person who has offended you and talked to them? Have you, have you prayed about why that hurt you so bad? Have you talked to God about it? Have you talked, and you start kind of walking them through, hey, what, what, how are you moving forward in love in this? And you'll see some reactions. Now, sometimes you can have somebody really upset and you start talking to them about that and they respond really well. Because their heart's desire is restoration and healing, and they, they are moving towards that. But if you've been in church long enough in church circles, you know there's some people you've, that you, they come to you and they want you to join their crusade against whatever they're up against. And you start saying that, and they start lashing out at you. And like, oh, you must be on that other person's side. Start attacking, or you're part of the problem. If you're not joining my crusade to be the answer, then you're part of the problem, and I'll start lashing out at you. Or you, sh- you, you know what I'm talking about. There's, there's, there are genuinely the per- people who have a heart to be healed, and there's genuine people that enjoy, uh, that that enjoy a crusade against somebody else. And if you're encouraging them, spurring them towards love, you'll you'll find out. Uh, one way or another, they'll, you'll you'll start to see. Uh, hey, this this is great. You you can see a wonderful testimony of how God's restored something, and you can also see a case where a person is like, I was just uh, if they would verbalize what they're really feeling. They're like, I was trying to recruit you into my crusade, and you turned me down, and now I'm upset with you. Is is what is the other side that happens? And you know what? None of that. By the world standards, that's not nice. If you were being nice, you would just agree with the person and go along with whatever they said about the other person. Or you would, you would join them and say, yeah, that other person's wrong. You would do that. But if we are genuinely spurring one another on towards love, it's like, I know you got hurt, but I have to encourage you to seek healing and seek love in this. I know that it's uncomfortable to go out and minister, but I have to encourage you and, and even, even maybe spur a little bit to get out there and minister. It's worth the risk. 
Now, what about the unbeliever? So back to our structure here. We're talking about two groups and handling these two groups with care. We've talked about the believer. It's not always being nice, but it is genuinely being loving and, and pushing forward. What about the unbeliever? We need to be patient with the unbelievers. Lost people do lost things. Sinners sin. We've got to be careful about how quickly, it's very easy, especially you've grown up in church, you've been around church people a lot, you go out and see the world and you see things that you haven't seen before. You see sins that you didn't even necessarily think of. Or how did that person end up in such a mess? We've got to be patient with that. Uh, Micaiah, when they were here, uh, ta- uh, Kent was sharing with us from Micaiah. You know, you, why does that person act the way they act? They act weird. And why do they act that way? And you get to know them and you discover there is a real hurt in their past. Um, I know you, you've, both from them and other ministers have told me, you know, you, sometimes you see an alcoholic and you're like, oh, what a mess. And you realize that that person um, was exposed to alcohol at a very young age. That their, the family they were in thought it was funny to see their kid drunk. And they never had a chance, really. You know, they were exposed, some of them, even little children, they were, alcohol was introduced into their system. And they, when did they ever have a conscious choice of whether they were going to become an alcoholic or not? So we really got to be patient with, we may see things that our whole life we've been taught, reject that. Well, yes, reject the sin, but how do you minister to the sinner who, who if, if you, hey, sometimes I look at people and think, that could just as easily have been me. I'm, there's nothing inherently better about me than that person. I could have, you throw me in their circumstances, I don't even know if I'd have made it as far as they have. Just an honest, it's honest humility. I don't know if I would have survived their circumstances, and at least they're still here, and at least there's a chance to to still help them. Second Corinthians five. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come; the old has gone, and the new is here. Another one of those our favorite verses. Things. All this is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ. And what's this next part? Given us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has com- committed to us the message of reconciliation. So God is reconciling the world to himself. He's not counting the sins against... He's, he, there's, in Christ, there is this freedom from your sins and this reconciling with God. And Jesus, in Scripture saying here, God's given that, that to us. We are ministers of reconciliation. If we're ministering reconciliation, we're going to have to be patient with people and not let their their situations, their their circumstances, that w- whatever the baggage, that can't get in our way. Our priority, our mission is reconciliation. So you see a person, and, oh, well, let me, let me confront them on these things they're doing wrong, and then they can get saved. 
Is that how that works? I, I know it's an old church phrase, but you don't you don't wash yourself off to get in the bathtub. You know, you don't. Yeah, you don't clean yourself up before you take a shower. And that, the idea is, well, clean yourself up, and then you can come to Christ. No, that's that's not how this works. Our mission is to reconcile them with God. In the course of discipleship, and okay, that may be different. There may there are genuine things that we work through in discipleship, but the priority is reconciling them to Christ, reconciling them to God through Christ. So that means there may be issues, even when you're talking to somebody. You know, if you, you talk to kind of a person who doesn't know the Lord, but they know a little bit about church, and you start talking to them, and they bring up some theological debate, and you're kind of like. That's really not going to help you right now. <laughs> it, it, I know it, it takes some tact. I can't say that I know. I definitely don't know what to do in all those situations. But there is a time where you say, "That's not really what you need right now." Is to have this debate. I was talking to somebody one time. Let me put an example to it. Talking to a guy, not really sure where he was with the Lord, but just God kind of opened up an opportunity. Start talking to him. He went on this massive spiel about whether people should be buried or cremated. He was very much against cremation. I don't care. <laughs> like that's that's not really something that is that's that's a scriptural important thing to get stuck on. But that's what he kind of knew. Like that was his kind of concept of the devil and God. And if you, if you don't handle your body right, you end up in hell. And if you don't, that's, that's the kinds of things. Trust me, you get out, you get out and start doing outreach and ministry. You're going to find people will bring up arguments you've never heard in your life. And you're going, where did that even come from? What do I even do with that? And some believers try to work through and debate every single thing and try to just sculpt the person into uh, themselves <laughs> and don't get stuck in those things. We've got to be patient, just love the person, talk to the person. Our goal is reconciliation with God through Christ. If they end up with some different theology, as long as it's not something that is biblically required for salvation. If they're working through some other things, give it time, let them work through that. That's not our priority. Maybe they've been exposed to some different denominational things. What? Not our priority. Priority is introduce them to God. Reconcile with God through Christ. And all the other things, give it time. Be patient. <laughs> but we're working through. What do we tend to do now? What do we? Our our tendency, and I'm just saying, I'm saying our as a, as a general church thing, my life experience, most church groups I've been in, be very gentle with the believers because you want to because you want to keep them as friends in your congregation, and then be really hard on the world and say shame on the world. And how do we reach how do we grow believers being too soft on them and how do we reach the world being too hard on them how do we do that that's not going to work we got to we got to switch that around to to some degree we got to switch that around and Ryan worship team if you want to come up close us out here i'm closing with this challenge back to John 17 back where we started but 
How do we get to that verse 23? Because that verse 23 said something really cool. It said, I and them, Jesus speaking to God, Jesus saying, hey, I'm in these believers. God, you're in me. That they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. That's really cool. The world's going to see our unity is going to minister to the world. The world's going to see Jesus because of our unity. How do we get there? <laughs> if, if we are reacting, if, we, if when we're being sharpened or we're being spurred, if we reject that and we get offended, we're not going to have the unity we need for the world, to world, for the world to see Christ. And if we're isolating ourselves and we're not out interacting with the world, they're not going to see Christ through our unity. We could be perfectly unified and hiding in our church, and you know, what's that going to do? Who's going who's to see it outside of our church? So let me read John seventeen twenty through 23. Again, Jesus praying to the Father, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. So he's talking about his disciples and all future people who are going to believe in the gospel. That's us. Verse 21, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be as we are, one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Giving them the glory, verse 22, give them the glory that you gave me. How do we get to that glory? And in context, the glory is that we are one in unity and that is how God's glory shines through us to the world, is that we're one in unity. That's amazing. So here's the challenge. How do we get to that unity? And that is going to require patience with each other. That's going to require being accepting that sharpening and that spurring. And that's a it's an agreed upon heart to reach the world, to not just hide in our church, but to reach the lost and share it so they see that glory. Well, that's the challenge today. So I'm going to go ahead. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and close the message with a word of prayer. But I encourage you seek the Lord. And we've got we've got a few minutes. They're going to play worship song. Ask the Lord what you need from this. Where's the weakness? I'm working towards this. Not that I've arrived. You understand? Like I'm. I need this message too. Let's all let's work on that. If you need prayer for anything. This is a praying church. We'll we'll rally around you. You know, everybody will come up and pray for you if you want it, or one person. What you know, we we're a praying church. So you need prayer for anything? Please please feel free to come up or grab somebody, pull them aside, whatever you need there. But let's let's face this challenge today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word and what you're doing. Lord, teach us how to handle the sharpening, the spurring, how to be patient with one another. 
Lord, help us to be tough enough to handle when the world hates us, but still love them. Lord, give us the unity that allows your glory to shine through us. Let us reach as many as we can, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. service and to worship, um, I really went before the Lord and I was feeling um, exhausted and like a failure, um, specifically in dealings with family and friends, and I was feeling like I've not been a good enough witness and um, that I'm failing at this. And the Lord started speaking to me, and he said, it's not your responsibility what their response is. It's your responsibility to speak the truth in love. And that's exactly what Jason was was saying. I found that kind of amazing. <laughs> but... Um, um, focus has to be on being conformed to Christ. Our focus has to be looking to Him. How does He see these people? And if you look at Jesus' interaction with people, like what you were saying about people who create all these arguments and want to get into a debate, you know, Jesus just looked right through that and spoke to and touched, was able to touch the point in their heart. And he's the one who knows those things, not us. And that's just the word that you were speaking. Speak the truth in love. That, that really did uh, complete uh, a point there that needs to be made. really appreciate you sharing that. Uh, I've lost all track of time, but let's go ahead, let's go ahead and pray and be dismissed. Lord, thank you again. Thank you for speaking through Margie. Thank you for providing those words that uh, we need. Lord, continue to teach us. Continue to... Uh, Lord, just thank you, Lord that we'd be more like you. Make us more like you, Lord. In Jesus' name, bless everyone as they leave today. And bless the mess- the service we're about to have on the Evansville campus, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.